Welcome to our podcast. I'm Pastor Mark Voss. Today we hear how God promised a victory to Joshua and the people of Israel, even in spite of a very strange-sounding battle plan. The Lord was teaching his people that the victory was his to give. It's ours simply to trust his word and promises. Today's sermon is based on Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 20, and our message is entitled, The Lord Has Given You the City. May God bless you as you hear and take to heart the truths of his holy word. Our first reading this morning of the words that will serve as the focus for our sermon today from Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 20. Jericho was shut up tight because of the Israelites. There was no one going out and no one coming in. So the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho and its king into your hands, even though they are strong warriors. You shall march around the city with all the fighting men. Circle the city one time. Do this for six days. Seven priests shall carry seven special ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the ram's horns. When there is a long blast on the special ram's horn of Jubilee, when you hear the sound of the ram's horn, all the people shall shout with a loud war cry. And the wall of the city will collapse on itself, and the people will go up into the city, one man after another. So Joshua, son of Nun, called for the priests and said to them, Lift up the Ark of the Covenant, and seven priests shall carry seven special ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Move out, march around the city. The armed contingent shall march in front of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had given orders to the people, the seven priests with the seven special ram's horns moved forward in front of the Lord, blowing the ram's horns continuously with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed contingent was marching ahead of the priests who were blowing the ram's horns, and the rear guard was following the ark. The priests kept blowing the ram's horns as they went. But to the people, Joshua had given the order, Do not shout and do not let your voice be heard. Do not let a word go out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout! Then you shall shout. So he had the Ark of the Lord go around the city, sending it out to circle the city one time. Then they came back to the camp and spent the night there. Then Joshua got up early in the morning, and the priests lifted up the Ark of the Lord, blowing the ram's horns continuously. The armed contingent was marching in front of them, and the rear guard was following behind the Ark of the Lord. The priests kept blowing the ram's horns as they went. They marched around the city one time on the second day, and then they returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Then, on the seventh day, they got up early at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times, following the directions they had been given. It was only on the seventh day that they marched around the city seven times. Then, on the seventh time, the priests blew the ram's horns, and Joshua said to the people, Shout! Because the Lord has given you the city. The city will be devoted to destruction. The city and everything in it will be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute will live, she along with all who are with her in the house, because she hid the agents whom we sent. But you must keep away from the things devoted to destruction. 
Or you will make yourselves subject to destruction by taking some of the devoted things, and you will make the camp of Israel subject to destruction and bring disaster upon it. But all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord. They must go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the priests blew the ram's horns. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted with a loud war cry. Then the wall collapsed on itself, and the people went up into the city, one man after another. So they captured the city. Grace and peace be yours in abundance to the knowledge of God and of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, standing there at the foot of those massive, fortified walls of the city of Jericho, the Lord's strategy for taking the city must have sounded ridiculous. Wait, you want us to do what, Lord? You want us to march around the city blowing some ram's horns? No, no spears, no swords, no battering rams? And the walls are just going to come tumbling down? That's it? After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses had died and Joshua was now the new leader of the people of Israel. God's chosen people were literally standing at the doorstep of the promised land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to give them hundreds and hundreds of years before. Jericho would be the first of a number of cities that the people of Israel would need to conquer in order to take possession of the promised land. Now the Canaanites in general, and the citizens of Jericho in particular, had heard reports of all of the victories, all the triumphs that, that Israel had accomplished at the hand of the Lord their God. And so as the Israelites got closer to Jericho, the people of that city hunkered down. They went on lockdown. So here you have Joshua mulling over the best way to win this battle and take the city of Jericho, when suddenly the Lord himself appears to Joshua and lays out the strangest-sounding battle plan that has ever been devised. And then the Lord simply said to Joshua, I have given Jericho and its king into your hands, even though they are strong warriors. And in this account, in word and in action, Joshua and the people of Israel teach us what it means to take God at his word. To believe what he says. To act on it in faith. The Lord has given you the city. That, that was a promise, not just for Joshua, not just for the people of Israel. That is also a promise for you, dear Christian. The Lord has given you the city, not by your might, not by your power, not by your goodness, not by your anything. The Lord has given you the city. We think, first of all, about the Lord's promise. 
In our nation's national anthem, Francis Scott Key tells how he watched to see if the, the American flag was still flying proudly at Fort McHenry after the British attack. Well, sure enough, at dawn's early light, that star-spangled banner that he had proudly hailed at, at twilight's last gleaming was still waving. It was a sign of victory. When the Lord came to Joshua and told him, I've delivered Jericho and its king into your hands, the Lord didn't give Joshua any signs or any immediate proof. He just gave him a promise. I suppose it had been one thing if the Lord promised him that their army would be victorious in a battle against the people of Jericho, but the Lord's promise was, you basically do nothing, and I've given you this city. Wasn't that asking an awful lot of Joshua? Not really. Joshua was no spring chicken. At the time that this occurs, he's about 80 years old, and Joshua had seen a number of times in his life when the Lord had made promises to the people of Israel and delivered on them, all of them. He'd seen the Lord promise that he would free the people of Israel from their slavery in the land of Egypt, and ten plagues later, that's exactly what God did. And when wicked Pharaoh changed his mind again and gave chase to the people of Israel and had them trapped, pinned up against the Red Sea, the Lord promised them, he said, just stand still and watch the deliverance the Lord will give you today. And sure enough, the waters of the Red Sea parted and the people crossed over on dry land. Those same waters destroyed the army of the Egyptians. When God's people had grumbled in the wilderness about having no food, the Lord promised and then delivered manna and quail every day without fail. For 40 years, the Lord miraculously saw to it that the people's clothing and their sandals never did wear out. And so when the Lord told Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, Joshua just took him at his word. Do we? Do we put our trust in God's promises? Friend, when God tells you to see yourself, sinner though you are, clothed with the perfect holiness, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Take him at his word. When he tells you here that your sins have all been forgiven, not by your doing, but because of the blood that the Lord Jesus Christ shed for you at the cross, then you take him at his word. When he tells you not to worry about things in your life because he will meet all of your needs one day at a time as an act of his mercy and grace, until finally he delivers you to his heavenly kingdom, then take him at his word. When he promises you that he will never leave you or forsake you, no matter how bad things get, when he promises I'm with you always to the very end of the age, then you take him at his word. And when the Lord Jesus promises you that he will come back and take you to be with him so that you may be where he is forevermore in heaven, then you take him at his word. Because just like Joshua... You've seen all kinds of evidence of the Lord's faithfulness in your life. How he has been with you every day. How he has forgiven all your sins. How he took that dark time that you were going through that you thought you could never make it through and yet here by his grace, here you are. And his grace is sufficient for you. 
believe that God would never, ever make a promise to you that he cannot keep. Take him at his word. Believe his promises. And as we do that, as we trust the Lord's promises, just like he did with Joshua, the Lord reveals to us his plan about how to give us the city. History buffs and military enthusiasts love to read books and watch documentaries about some of the famous wars and battles of the past, and they study the various strategies of different generals, their, their tactics, what worked and what didn't work. The battle plan that the Lord shared with Joshua was unique, to put it mildly. They were to march around the city once a day for six days in a certain order. First, there would be the armed guard, the fighting men, though they were not to use any of their weapons. And right behind them were seven priests blowing seven ram's horns. Behind them was the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and finally then there was the rear guard. And the Lord says, just march around the city. Once a day, every day, for six consecutive days. Don't let a word pass through your lips. Why not? Imagine the temptation to shout out a threat or two at the You're going to get it, people of Jericho. The Lord says, I don't want you saying a word. No chit-chat, no shouting, no threats, no nothing. Why? Because the Lord was making it clear that this victory was going to be his doing and his doing alone. None of Israel's words and none of Israel's efforts and none of Israel's anything would contribute to this victory. The Lord was giving them the city. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times, and on the seventh time when the priests give the signal, shout with all your might, and that's it. And when the walls come tumbling down, then rush in and take the city. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall as Joshua shared that battle plan with his fighting men? It seemed absolutely foolish, ridiculous, contrary to every shred of good sense. And remember now, their lives were on the line. Maybe even more remarkably, we come to find that the people followed the Lord's battle plan exactly, did precisely what he told them to do. I find it interesting that in carrying out his all-important work in our lives, the Lord often chooses ways that are the exact opposite of conventional thinking. Do you ever notice that about Scripture? When the Israelites needed water to drink while they were wandering in the wilderness, the Lord told Moses to speak to a rock, and water came pouring out of it. When the people were bitten by these poisonous snakes and dying, the Lord instructed Moses to, to make a snake out of bronze and put it up on a pole, and whenever anyone looked at it in faith, they lived. On several occasions in the Old Testament, the Lord kept the line of our Savior alive by promising a son to couples who were unable to bear children. And then he capped it all off by having the Lord Jesus born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Why is that? 
think it's because he's teaching us to trust him. See, friends, God always wants more for us than just receiving physical possessions and material gifts. He wants our trust. And in the way that he chooses to do things, God makes it clear to us that the results are all up to his gracious work and not ours. Aren't you glad of that? Because if he told you that we had to work out our own salvation by our own good works and good efforts, by our own merit, then we'd never get there. So what does God tell us instead? What's his plan? He tells you to find your life in the Savior's death. He tells you to find your salvation in an instrument of execution to glory in the cross of Jesus. He tells sinners that he has made us to be saints, that he has declared us righteous for the sake of Jesus and what he did for us. Jesus promises us that whoever lives and believes in him will live even though he dies. But please know that if we choose to change that battle plan, if we start to think that we can win our own salvation or contribute in any way to it, then we will lose it. Faith trusts God's plan. The Lord has given you the city. And thirdly here, he teaches us that it's dependent upon his timing. Recall for yourself some of the times in Scripture that the Lord called on his people to wait. Noah and his family waited on the ark for about an entire year for the floodwaters to subside. The Lord promised Abraham and his wife Sarah that they would give birth to a son, and then they waited for 25 years for the Lord to fulfill that promise. He promised his people Israel the the promised land of Canaan, and they wandered and waited for 40 years. And now the Lord's calling on them to march around the city and wait a full week before anything happened. Why would he do that? Why not just cause the walls to come tumbling down on the first day? Well, for one thing, it may have been that those trumpets, the ram's horns, were a a solemn call to the people to turn away from their sin, to repent, and to put their trust in the God of Israel, the God who wants all people to be saved. But clearly, marching and blowing the ram's horns each day would give God's people an opportunity to show their obedient faith, to put their trust in the Lord into practice in their lives. King David in the 130th Psalm wrote this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. See, when the Lord calls on us to wait, It's always for our good. We don't hope for what we already have. Waiting for the Lord's timing leads us to put all of our hope in his promises. And our faith benefits when we wait patiently because then we anchor it all the more solidly in the Lord and his promises on things that we trust but cannot see. Wait for the Lord. So look, rather than getting frustrated with the Lord when he doesn't do something as quickly as you'd like him to, when he calls on you to wait on him, let that lead you to trust him all the more completely. 
And what a beautiful witness to the world, right? To, to go through the things that we face, the difficulties in our lives with this quiet, confident faith, saying to people, well, I know the Lord has this. He'll work it all out for my good one way or another. I trust in him. And I know that the word says that whoever puts their trust in him will never be put to shame. Our waiting on the Lord is never in vain. If it, it wasn't for Israel, they waited until the seventh day and the, the seventh time around the city and then they gave a shout to the Lord and the walls came tumbling down. The Lord kept his word and the Lord gave them the city. What I want you to know this morning, friend, is that the Lord has given you the city. Not the city of Jericho. But it's a city that the Bible in Revelation chapter 21 refers to as the New Jerusalem. That city, the New Jerusalem, that's heaven. A place of indescribable beauty, defies adequate description. No expense will be spared, no trouble or tears or trauma or terrors in your life ever again. You'll never be tempted by anything ever. No enemies will ever come up against you ever again. Just eternal happiness and peace in this perfect paradise. The Lord has given you that city. I know sometimes it feels hard to believe that. Especially when you're frustrated with yourself that you failed the Lord again. Especially when we see so much turmoil in our lives, in our world, even in the church. But that city, that's what this is all about. It's this undying trust, this confident faith that the best is yet to come and that we will never, ever have to settle for anything less than the best forevermore. A paradise. Mansions of glory that are yours, bought and paid for by the blood of your dear Savior. The new Jerusalem. Just as surely as he gave Jericho to the people of Israel, friend, the Lord has given you the city called heaven. That's the unbreakable promise that the Lord has made to you here in his word. That's the plan that he spells out for you here in the Bible to save you by the blood of Jesus Christ, to make you his own through the gift of spirit-given faith, to bring you to heaven when his time is precisely right. In Christ, your Savior, the walls of sin and unbelief have come tumbling down. And in his stunning grace and mercy... The Lord has given you the city. Amen.